Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, thank God for scheduled tweeting, so I'm not rapidly uh, telling everyone that we're live online on other platforms. Uh, but today is a very special day. We have uh, I have two wonderful guests with me. I have uh, Matt and Dan of the New Right Podcast, uh, WR. I-T-E, not what you're usually expecting out of a Vanity Fair mm. article. So um, <laughs> thank you both so much for coming on. Oh, of course, Prudentialist. Very it's welcome. To be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, you got a yeah. great stream going here. We're excited to, to be part of it today. Oh, great, yeah. great. Um, so for those of my audience who may not know who you guys are, if you want to just give yourselves a brief introduction of, you, of yourselves and then the podcast and what you guys do. Sure. Uh, Dan, you want to yeah. start? Yeah, sure. So New Right... We are a, uh, we call ourselves a dissident arts and culture podcast. What we do and, and have been doing since we started is basically Matt and I recognized that the writing and culture industry obviously is um, fully uh, colonized by GAE, whatever you want to call it. And as a result, I mean, this is bad for many reasons, but one of the most important reasons is good art isn't possible really in the professional culture industry and so matt and i connected over this and we realized that there was a market for a podcast that discusses both this situation but also provides a uh, a platform to highlight artists writers what have you who are doing this really good work of creating art outside of the mainstream and uh, we that is kind of our mission to uh, highlight yeah. artists who are doing uh, doing the good work of good art. We first crossed each other's paths uh, in uh, March or so of 2021 last year. We did our first episode. Gosh, I don't have the date off the top of my head, but it was almost exactly a year ago. Uh, so yeah. we're, we're going on and, you know, closing out year one of New Right Pod. Uh, Dan and I came across each other on Justin Murphy's forum, Indie Thinkers, um, which uh, neither of us are super active on it anymore, but we, I think we both kind of feel we got what we wanted out of it by, by meeting each other and making this podcast. But basically it's uh, just a forum where people in this, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners know who Justin Murphy is. He's kind of a uh, ex academic who's kind of become more of a, a blogger and, you know, like-minded people to him have kind of congregated on this forum. And that's where we, cross yeah. paths and as dan said we we bonded over mutually well in fact both of us notably had novels written that we had not really been able to find a home for and well i mean obviously that's always going to be hard anyway but we neither of us had found a home for them in like the mainstream publishing world but moreover didn't even know where we'd begin 
to get them out there. I had uh, already signed on to publish my novel Dragon Day with Terror House, which ended up coming out in June of last year. Uh, Dan had a novel as well, which I'll let him speak on, but that he was kind of still looking for a home for Absolutely. at the time. Now is also coming out with Matt Forney's Terror House. <laughs> if you want to talk about Dragon Thread. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we met on Justin's forum, and, uh, I mean, I think what Justin is doing is great. He's creating a kind of, and this is something that you're increasingly seeing, a, um, there's a, I mean, call it an industry, call it what you will, but there is a, a kind of business developing over connecting like-minded people as public institutions and public-facing, you know, groups are increasingly places where you can't share your opinions. You can't really connect with people who um, see the world the way you do. Uh, people like Justin kind of bridge that gap. And so as a, a consequence of joining that uh, forum, Matt and I met each other and we you know, immediately connected over the fact that I had a kind of like unpublishable novel and Matt had written an unpublishable novel that was about to be published by Terror House. And so, yeah, my novel, Nutcranker, is coming out from Terror House in the fall, so very soon. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's just kind of a, um, a real kind of cement that kind of grew the podcast and united us together it was our struggle to write in a vacuum outside of the the writing industry and to uh kind of uh find a, a venue to um you know get our art and our words out there and yeah so from that we we realized that like you know we in fact i believe matt was saying like how difficult it was to promote dragon day his very good novel how difficult it was to find podcasts to go on and promote it and out of that, we, yeah. we realized, like, well, we need to make a podcast where people can do that, where the uh, the Matt Pegasus of the future <laughs> can promote their uh, their Dragon Days. Yeah, and that's I, another piece of the puzzle, certainly. Go on, Dan. Sorry. And and yeah, and so like I've used New Right to promote Nutcracker, and uh, I think you know somewhat effectively. So when it actually comes out in the fall, it will have an audience, and that's like that's great, and that's better than most publishers do. Like most small presses or, well, okay, Terror House probably fits that definition, but like, I mean, we'll get into this later in the, uh, the conversation, but uh, often now the, the onus is on the author to build his own audience. And in a sense, like, I think we both, by recognizing that early, we uh, are kind of early adopters to this new ecosystem, or if not early, you know, early in the grand scheme of things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's where we want to be. Well, yeah, I, I've noticed the, the growth of Terror House Press as of late, but I mean, there's been independently since I've been around, which has not been very long, I'm coming up on two years, really. And mm -hmm. You know, between various, you know, niche publishing houses, whether it's Imperium Press, Mystery Grove, Terror House, Rogue Scholar Press, there's been a rather explosion, really, not just of independently published novels or these publishing houses taken in people's books. I mean, whether yeah. it's with Terror House Press or Imperium Press publishing academic agents work, uh, to me, it, it is a sign of the times that, you know, really the uh, attempts at entryism is going to be very difficult in sort of the publishing industry. I think that that really sort of shown itself when, 
you know, there was that Joyce Carol Oates tweet about yeah. basically just like white male manuscripts are just tossed to the side or into the trash. Yeah, you're right. Um, and so, you know, in this age, if, if you want to be an artist or if you want to be a, a writer of sorts, I mean, there's plenty to go into with the return of the blogosphere. But uh, I thought that, you know, so many guys these days kind of have to build a, a personality with their very um but have so much yeah. to do in regards to building a personality building a brand and then you can hawk a book you know the the meme on twitter is is that you get to 10k and then you can start chilling your book because you've established some <laughs> sort of authority um but i mean plenty of people don't do that even regardless of which which is why i thought the first point i wanted to bring up was just sort of this uh phenomena of the self-published man because there are so many tools available now for guys to just put their book out there where regardless of whether or not they have a following or not yeah it's uh it's an interesting thing it's it's kind of delicious tacos talks humorously about this sometimes you know there's there's less and less of a of a stigma to putting your own work out there uh there used to be you know growing up you know even going back like five years there was a really big stigma i would say to having a self-published book you look like you know, it wasn't a bad thing, but it was like, oh, that you have like some hobby and you have like this like shittily printed. Sorry, I don't know if we can curse on the stream. I apologize. Uh, you know, You're some, fine. some cruddily, uh, some cruddily like put together book and like, oh, it's yours. But no, it's, it's uh, and it's, you know, it, it wasn't really respect, certainly not really respected by anyone, you know, who took books super seriously or literature. But increasingly, I think it's like kind of cool and people like Delicious Tacos uh and, and terror house and its way to sort of perhaps pave the way for this where it's like sort of cool i mean i think because of the the joyce carol oates thing you mentioned what you know manuscripts by white nails are shoved to the side there's an understanding that the publishing industry even even like the indie publishing industry is not putting all the work out there that it could be it's not you know it's it's the criteria it's using to select manuscripts isn't necessarily quality alone shall we say Given that everyone understands that, I think even liberals understand that, uh, it's kind of understood that there can be someone uh, like a Delicious Tacos who puts, uh, you know, his own books out there. And, you know, I think it's kind of like a few, like it used to be like, oh, you're a self-published author. Like, oh, you couldn't find a place to publish your work. Now there's almost more like a punk zine mentality where it's like, oh, yeah, it's DIY. You have to do it yourself because that's the only way you could, your, you know, your message was edgy enough that you had to get it out there that way. Your book was edgy enough that you had to self-publish. Uh, yeah. There's like a reflexive understanding of that. And I think it's really taken that stigma away to a large degree. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it kind of has, a, yeah, Sorry, has a, a shock jock mentality to it, really, where uh, I feel very often that in, in these times with the internet, there's really just a flourishing of, you know, zine culture is back, the uh, edgy or shocking personality that has a, a book or a podcast or some sort of, you know, broadcast is out there. And uh, this, I think, is fulfilling a, a very important niche because the discussion of art in sort of the day and age where everything meets these sort of formulaic peoples of flat design or your typical... I, I guess it's your show or the the certain 
appropriated words are being said the right sort of uh, liturgics almost have to be put into every television show every commercial you know it's always right. the yeah. the dingy you know white dad that can't get anything figured out right or like the girl boss younger daughter has to school mm-hmm. their parents about why the eco-friendly beyond meat product <clears throat> is appropriate and so it's just <laughs> like yeah we're really now in a position where um you you do need someone to be rambunctious enough to to put their stuff out there for sure and um, I mean, that's the thing that really just comes to mind in that regard. And I think that yeah. the guys that you've interviewed for sure, right, has definitely been something in, uh, out there. I mean, I, I, I'm i on Twitter following these guys all regularly, whether it's Billy Pratt, Delicious Tacos and the rest. Like the, the self-published man is the sort of epitome of that you're a guy that's kind of like made it on the online sphere or that your uh, stuff is worth talking about because, oh, it's out there. It's done by himself, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. the, the freedom that that provides, like, as you say, the culture industry right now is such that, um, yeah, all, all the stereotypes about like white men are dumb, which obviously is not true. And like various other kind of like tropes that they kind of mix into their you know message. I mean, not only is that pernicious, and of course it is, but in addition to that, it's stifling for art. Like art, you know, art right now in the mainstream industry has to follow a script. And the script is very limiting. And, it, you know, it prevents the ability of the truth telling. And so if you can't tell the truth in art, it's, it's pretty boring art. So what I think self-publishing has done is it's freed people like Delicious Tacos, like Mike Ma, like uh, like BAP uh, famously yeah. to uh, tell the truth and to and thus to make good art and so this I'm, Matt and I were talking about this before the episode how there are benefits to having gatekeepers but the issue is today there are no uh, based or conservative institutions there are no publishing houses that would serve as effective gatekeepers for us. The publishing houses, all they do is keep us out of the industry. So they're garbage. So we, we don't want to participate in that industry. So what we have here is like if we have to choose between a culture and an industry that gatekeeps us out of it and a kind of parallel industry that provides uh, perfect freedom, well, the perfect freedom is the choice to, to make. And as a result, you have art that is, um, you know, maybe in some respects a little unpolished, but it is raw. It is like it has a vitality that the stuff being published in the mainstream industry, that's just like these kind of stories about, you know, women having, you know, weird uh, encounters <laughs> on vacations. <laughs> like, it's, it's not, you know, it's not something that, uh, you know, generally is that vital. Is that like, yeah. you know, charged with, whereas like the, the stuff that Tacos writes, it just it bursts out of the page. You're reading it and you're like, holy shit, this guy is like, he's living life. He has a lot of in- hard won insights. And like, that's what people really want to read. And so, like, did the publishing industry used to publish stuff like this? Yes, they did. They definitely did. They don't anymore, at least not. You know, I mean, there's some exceptions, but in general, it's it's very closed off. 
So um, they left a lot of money on the table. And even beyond money, Matt and I were talking about it. They left a lot of cultural capital on the table. And uh, we're, you know, able to, you know, thankfully be in a position to pick it up, pick up that cultural capital and write the novels that need to be written. Yeah, absolutely. I think the goal with New Write and with our own publishing and our own writing has always been not merely to, you know, publish our own writing, but to create a parallel institution and to be part and parcel of that. We're not so grandiose that we think we're the only people doing this. Obviously, as you mentioned, there's so a lot of these other, you know, publishing houses and and even podcasts uh, like Astral's podcast also has a focus on literature. Uh, you know, these all kind of came around the same time as this explosion of kind of people having the same thought, which is often the case with, I think, cultural movements is a, is a lot of people kind of come to it simultaneously and independently and start to create this ecosystem. But to get back to the point, uh, yeah, the, the goal has always been to to create an ecosystem, to platform people to, as Dan mentioned earlier, kind of create the podcast that one would want, you know, as, as someone who is, you know, publishing my own work, like, you know, you create the podcast that you that you would want there to be for you to talk about your work. Um, it's all about, it's all about creating that parallel institution and, um, you know, not doing it alone, doing it as part and parcel of a greater movement, but nevertheless, like taking that notion very seriously. Like we are creating, uh, you know, not, not to be gatekeepers per se, but to, you know, create a, a network an institution, um, that, you know, maybe one day will be taken more seriously. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and I, I, I do see the sort of rise of these publishing houses and sort of even you guys. I mean, you say not gatekeepers per se, but um, what was once a, a pretty decentralized where people want to come onto the scene or, you know, oh, I've got this book written and self-published. I mean, while that stigma certainly does um, shed itself because so many people who have written great books have self-published, whether it's T.R. Hudson or you guys yourselves, I mean, it's important for that centralization to take place. Cause I mean, if you are going to foster an ecosystem, right, there's a, a fine line difference between finally some good news. Right. And, but between that or you're publishing something that sounds more and more like a, a Francis E deck rant. So, I mean, uh, yeah, no, it, no, no, no. Keep in mind. it gets, it gets to a nuanced point about all this that kind of is weirdly analogous to, political considerations which we could or couldn't get which we will or won't get to depending on if it seems actually interesting but like you know there's the whole you know we are kind of of the right right like we have our certain we have like certain elitist values like we're believers in quality and like a hierarchy of, of you know of work in this case um so it's like you take the energy of something that's sort of democratic and decentralized like self-publishing like the internet, but the hope isn't just to celebrate like, Oh, now it, it, it definitely, it's definitely not the be, you know, the, the thought like, Oh, now everyone can publish. So everything's great. That's definitely not the be all end all. It's more like everyone can publish now. So there's opportunity to create something new. And like, you know, there's a downside to it too, which is that there's like, there's going to be a lot of work to sift through and a lot of people trying to get their voices out there. It's going to be a bit of a rat race. Not all of it's going to be quality, you know, and if it's some of it's, you, you, you know, I'm sure a lot of this experience this online, like you kind of feel like you're just getting sucked into, you know, just the, the ocean of people out there vying for attention. Um, you know, there, there's obviously a downside to that, but the hope is, um, you know, and the, the political analogy would be, you know, sort of like a, a populist like Trump, I guess, trying to, you know, 
appealing to sort of democratic mass culture type values. But the goal, and I'm not, I won't even opine on whether or not Trump did or didn't or will or won't achieve this. Uh, but the goal is to kind of create something that is actually hierarchical, but new out of that. It's a little bit abstract, but do you kind of understand what I'm saying? Well, yeah, no, I mean, that's sort of the point is that you do want to have these sort of vanguard points, whether it's publishers or more established authors leading the way to create that ecosystem. I think someone in the comments said it best that you're sort of making the garden in which um, uh, gates will be erected to protect. And I think that that's kind of where we're getting at now with the rise of these things. I mean, absolutely. Very eloquently put, whoever that was. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and I I find that. Yeah, go on. Oh, well, yeah, no, I, I, I do find that to be sort of correct because there has been this explosive growth of of literature, but also art on this side, which to me, I think is is a good thing, right? Because there's been so much yeah. discussion about, well, what is, you know, art supposed to be for those that don't agree with the, the current system or the current cultural zeitgeist? I mean, uh, it's been talked about before. I mean, there was that uh, rather recent sort of spat back and forth between uh, Anthony Fantano and Michael huh. J. Knowles, where mm. I mean, it's been covered, it's been talked about by others, but I mean, just the oh, whole no, basic actually, point. I didn't know if you want oh. to unpack that because I, oh, I, sure, yeah. sure. <laughs> I know who Anthony Fantano is, and I'm always down for a little. Well, I, I shouldn't say that, <laughs> but I'm curious what, what he said or did now. <laughs> oh, well, you know, ba- basically, Michael J. Knowles sort of has made the same boomer conservative point that modern art and why it can't be like the greats and anthony fantano just replies saying well like this again just proves my point that like conservatives are constitutionally uh enabled to like create good work work or art by themselves uh the the distributist has talked about this before he did a video on it which i thought was pretty good He, he was talking about the uh sort of the heart reset um, but basically that we're in this sort of vibe shift where there is a lot more of a focus on what art looks like. And I think that the mm-hmm. ecosystem that is out there uh, is beginning to have that discussion. I mean, I am 1776 has been sort of right. kicking off that. Absolutely. A lot. And yeah, uh, definitely shout out know, to man's world, Rag nationalist yep. uh, magazine. Yeah. Which publishes fiction as well as nonfiction, but go on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he's great. I, I read the PDFs every time that they come out. Um, and so just your, your, your sort of culture becomes rather um, absent to, to the mainstream. And I think that by nature of it being sort of this secluded alternative to what's out there, I mean, it's definitely its own ecosystem. Like I, I, I get asked sometimes, well, like you should really watch this television show. And I'm just like, I, I really don't watch <laughs> TV anymore because yeah. it's just like I'm either listening to other people's work or I'm watching something yeah. that someone's put out you know and so it's just like you have created your own ecosystem in, in, in doing that right and so i do think that in that regard um what you guys are doing and by the amount of art that's out there i mean whether it's wide dog or the passage prize that there is right. a renewed discussion that oh there is this avenue that's out there it's just uh, its own ecosystem had to be created first yeah absolutely, absolutely. It's an area right now where I think it's a very exciting time because you have this period of explosive growth and, you know, there's so many people writing novels now. There's so many people writing poetry, even people, you know, putting on theater productions, even people, you know, talking about, uh, well, not even talking about uh, producing films like in Austin, the debut of the Alex Jones film. Yep and stuff stuff of that nature amanda milius has a conservative film company 
And uh, so that it's kind of, you know, a, a pre-Renaissance era almost of just like ferment and people contributing to something that doesn't yet uh, have the fences, you know, but as we're, we're building yeah. the fences and that's kind of, that's a, an interesting place to be because you have people who are saying like, well, no, this is what right-wing art is supposed to be about. And then you have other people who are saying, no, this is what it's supposed to be about. And I think ultimately, you know, it sounds right, but uh, many people can be right. There's no one kind of avenue to the truth about whatever it is we're doing. And that the, the only thing that like is really, um, you know, 100% true is that we need more, uh, we need more uh, podcasts, like you're right, to, uh, to, you know, talk about this and kind of like craft the contours of what's to come. Yeah. And not to sound too liberal about it, but I think one theory that I would push forward is like, regardless of what right wing art, quote unquote, looks like, I think what creates what what, what leads to renaissance is I do think we're in the as as Dan said, you know, a kind of pre renaissance phase with this. What leads to it is a degree of freedom and, and the, you know, the, 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 you know, freedom of expression and, you know, the willingness on people's part to, to say and platform and hear uh, societally repotent topics. And, you know, regardless of whether or not it's about creating capital or right-wing art, uh, what, what it's definitely about is kind of tapping into that energy of, you know, kind of what, what goes against, uh, you know, the norms, and that, I'm not necessarily saying that's value, it would be kind of lib of me to say that's valuable in and of itself, you know, the power of transgression or whatever, but certainly it can be said that right now, as so many people have talked about, whether it's zero HP or uh, Lomez with the passage prize, you know, exit the longhouse, right now, the norms are kind of that, you know, bug man. What, what you said in your notes, Prudentialist, like about the kind of like flat, the flatness of, of, of current culture, um, you know, the, the oppressive forces are not conservative. They are whatever you want to call, you know, the, the, the whole, the longhouse thing. Some have called it neoliberalism, you know, which is an overused word, uh, you know, that, that, that stifling energy that, that we, yeah. Yeah, I think we all know what I'm talking about. Here. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, call I've it what you will. at this point that, you know, like the, the Kierkegaardian concept of the leveling sort of taking away the uniqueness of you know individuals and human beings and what it means to have culture i mean that's mm. basically happening right now it's just it's making everyone fake and gay and yeah. uh, i don't think that's the way kierkegaard probably thought it out but i mean <laughs> here's where we are and um well i mean the, that's the thing though what i see about this art being created and these books being written like i am not one to and i think everyone knows this by now at least anyone who's watched me for a while i am not a fan of like digital or media that i don't physically own um, I like buying things that are like physical yeah. and tangible that I own. I mean, everyone should be doing this, right? Because I mean, it's very easy to watch a streaming service, edit or remove episodes of TV shows and things like that. But um, I mean, th th there is power though in the transgression that is out there. What is transgressive? I, I can't help but think of, you know, the meme magic of 2016. I mean, a lot of that mm -hmm. was online in its essence, but I think you're kind of seeing that come into the meat space. I mean, the greatest yeah. piece of performance art wasn't He Will Not Divide Us by Shia LaBeouf. It was the constant trolling and capturing the flag that came with uh, Shia LaBeouf and just sort of the autism of trying to like triangulate where these like flags were located across the US and other parts of the world. 
And um, now that we're now that we're seeing that take place in sort of the real space, I find that to be very important that this isn't just a, a digital meme space or meme plex only, but like there are people I know out there that are like, Oh, have you read like, you know, Viniculum by, you know, Oliver Perrin, who's a semi-agog or, or have you read um, TR Hudson's books or have you had, or have you read, you know, kill the party? Like all these things are out there. And I think that that's sort of important that there is sort of a, well-to-do crowd of people that aren't just centralized in one location right like the cultural centers of sort of today's zeitgeist are really located in in the coasts but now you do sort of have a much more decentralized space for that yeah absolutely and uh i don't know if you caught this interview i think it was from a couple of days ago with lomez in i am 1776 where he says that uh art good art has to be grounded in uh, in nature, more or less, in, in biology. And I mean, you could parse what exactly that means, but I, I think what's important there is um, any, you know, the, the, the ruling paradigm, the GAE paradigm is uh, that, you know, den- denies biology essentially. And if, you, if you're starting from that premise, well then what, what good art could you possibly produce? Because it's already so divorced from reality, mm-hmm. and so it's so it is literally not based. It's based on a, a fiction, so it's not based. And so, like by just even believing in basic, um, you know, basic science, believe the science, <laughs> believing in basic science, mm-hmm. the art on our side, it um, you know has the benefit of being uh, rooted in uh, reality, rooted in uh, being based. And uh, that that's a pretty that to me, that was a pretty good way for Lomez to sum it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I I think that that's very accurate to the point that what we're currently seeing, both just culturally, but I mean, whatever is by the powers that be what they believe in is always going to be expressed culturally, where a lot of our culture is downstream from the political paradigms that that govern it. And so we're sort of seeing this inversion, this hyper real system that is out there where you know things are no longer real and things are no longer based in any sort of um biological truth or you know the aspect of the word none of that is out there anymore at least in the sense that oh you know it's kind of what like kuvefe anon says like the woke are more correct yeah yeah and there's something to that oh did we lose uh uh Credentialist? Credentialist? Are we, <laughs> are we hijacking the stream? I assume yeah. Prudentialist will be back. I assume so as well. I assume, I guess we're still live. Uh, I mean, we're still live. Here. So, um, yeah. No, but we, no, I uh, guess uh, rather than... Oh, here it is. Right. Sorry about that. I don't know. Uh, no, no worries. Better to mess up with me. <laughs> no My worries. computer is rebelling against me. It's kind of cool. Apologies. Uh, no, the, um, uh, the comments say there was a coup d'état against you. I swear oh, no. we, we did not oust Prudentialist. He is back. Oh, well, that would explain why. Apparently, my uh, um, extensions for my Google Chrome ad blocker has crashed. That explains everything. Um, okay, but now that's taken care of. <laughs> you know, it, um, in, in that regard, then, I mean, as I was saying, so much is based on what is no longer biologically true or depending on your religious faith tradition. In my essence, things are no longer based in the logos. Like all of these things yeah. are 
uh, a rebellion against totally. you know it's it's very much um almost milton-esque in that regard of better to to reign in my own falsiations than to to serve anything that is truthful and it, we, there is an essence about all this that's being published or written that to me just says oh we speak truth to power which i mean that used to have sort of that used to be a very progressive turn of phrase Oh, you know, rebelling against the man or the powers that be. Well, the man that is rebelling against you nowadays is in a skirt and telling you to call them <laughs> ma'am and that they're in charge of like America's nuclear waste projects. So, um, yeah. you know, maybe it is important to be a little more transgressive now than ever. Yeah, yeah. no, that's the fundamental reversal uh, where, again, it's like I don't want to say that things are, uh, you know, valuable just for the sake of being transgressive. But if you look at the situation, you know, it is exit from the longhouse. Like that is what we're up against. So, kind of just by default, uh, there is this sort of renaissance space sort of created out of necessity. Um, and I think we're, yeah, we're in the pre-renaissance space because we're still, it's still the sort of chaos of a lot of different voices, you know, vying uh, to, to find their way out. And, you know, just the, the cultural situation is obviously bad. Like, obviously there's a lot of repression, but like there's these corners where, where, um, where, where a certain kind of, creativity i do think is flourishing and and the question is like what happens next you know do we overcome uh the the status quo uh or, or not i don't know uh but definitely there's interesting developments like uh even just with this sort of i don't remember if we've really touched on this yet but the whole sort of red scare pod sort of crossover with this world is is interesting because that podcast you know red scare and, and other podcasts like it really do have some valence in if not mainstream culture then at least with sort of more uh sort of indie culture shall we say or like subculture and you know this morning anna Kachian tweets that she bought the 400 dollar yes. passage prize anthology yes, uh and tweets it out you know proudly and uh you know there, we have it's, it's I mean, not it's that's what it's it's not just right-wing art by the way it's like you know it's crossing over to people who are just looking for something more genuine i think yeah, it represents a shift of the Overton window. We, were, you know, Matt and I were talking about this. Anna holding passage prize. It's like further confirmation that the if we're going to say the Overton window of like what is uh, acceptable by uh, normies is Anna. Well, she's she continually is moving right, and that's good for us because you know we we love our world. We love you know, but we we want access to influencing more people and um you know so the the more people like anna can punch right not punch right but shift the over <laughs> right yeah, yeah. yes yes that uh that's good that's good in our estimation yeah i've noticed the increasing influence i mean there's been articles written about it there was the whole mike crumpler thing that came out a while back which i don't know how much we're gonna uh get into with that uh, the the dime square art space where there oh, yeah. is sort of the um you know there is the i, I there's a, i have a, i have mixed feelings about it because on one end i'm like this is pretty neat that some of these ideas from anons and names that get discussed are coming into people that have far more uh irl or at least higher up level influence than just say the regular people like myself but at the same time you know i like you said, there's um, you don't want things to have value solely based on it being transgressive. And I've I've always had this uh, sort of thought in the back of my head that my concern with some of that is just that some of the people, you know, they pour their hearts out for what they do, whether it's uh, visual art, um, novels and such. 
that um you know it to me it, it does tell me that maybe you know i i don't want politics to be sort of this exhibitionist politics is kink sort of deal where mm-hmm the authentic things that people really do believe in that are good and true. And, you know, they have to be anonymous about it for many reasons due to their jobs and families and whatnot uh, to be just seen as uh, cultural or artistic trinkets by those with much more influence and power. No, absolutely. Like there, there is a sense like a real worry that, uh, you know, this kind of dime square crowd or what have you are. And I've, you know, I've discussed this with other men on the right are kind of like using our creative energy to kind of burnish their coolness credentials because like, you know, the, the right men and women on the right, mostly men are outsiders legitimately and people who, you know, are quote unquote cool. They, uh, you know, the, the outsider energy, the, the vril, if you will, <laughs> of the, the outsider <laughs> art is uh, that is, you know, that is something that they can glom onto. So, yeah, there is a kind of like, okay, yeah, you can access, you know, the, the, the transgressive real that I'm bringing, but you actually have to read my stuff. You actually have to open your mind. And I yeah. think that is the, that is the bargain that the right is making with Anna Kachian. It's like, yeah. okay. I mean, I think Anna is more based on that, but still, like, I know, I know what you're saying, Dad, uh, you know, and, and people on like the R Red Scare uh I, yeah the, the the bargain is like you know th- there there can be there can be subcultural charm to the work but that's not necessarily a bad thing because that's a genuinely how people get in you know the, y- that's how you change people's minds sometimes is it starts with uh you know a cultural uh intrigue and then later the more genuine political or spiritual even change of heart i think yeah can take place. so i don't really have a problem with it per se there is no, no, there no are problem. pitfalls to it. there are pitfalls to it um but i do yeah again i think uh it can not to sound too like gramchian or something but it, you know it's kind of a cultural battering ram you know to get on that to be cool basically and, and have people attracted to you for that reason uh can, can lead to more genuine uh intellectual spiritual political changes later on and the other thing I'd say is the the we're not at I mean this could happen in our lifetime where like the United States kind of goes the way of Canada and it's like kind of post political economic zone but we're not quite there yet I mean Trump's you know what we all know obviously Trump got raided by the FBI this week there's a midterm <laughs> coming up there's an election coming up the political situation in the United States isn't so cold yet that we're like living under a single party system regime like there still is real politic that still is kind of downstream for some of this stuff. So until, as long as that's the case, I don't think it will ever just be a cultural intrigue thing. Uh, by the way, I just uh, not to go on a tangent, but you know, whatever happens in 2020, you know, uh, from basically from now until 2024, will probably have some bearing on the future of this uh, literary and cultural scene. Like it could, it could blow up, you know, like or blow up negatively or positively. I mean, if, you know, if Trump gets uh, gets 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 elected again in 2024, like that that you know could be the beginning of the. Well, I don't want to make any negative predictions or any predictions at all, really. But like you know, imagine what you know. Maybe the gatekeepers have kind of lightened up over the like during Biden's administration, and they'll crack down really hard again. We don't know, uh, but like w- w- the, the the fate of this cultural scene is still, I think, tied to real politic, uh, even if we don't realize it right now. 
Yeah, well, I, I do think with the, the midterms coming up that Twitter will we'll see more ban waves. I mean, I think everyone who's on Twitter knows that you're on borrowed time. I mean, like you're you are yeah. living and breathing in enemy territory. And, um, you know, this is why I have other platforms to be on. But I mean, that's the mm-hmm. neat thing, though, about the publishing houses or the or even what you guys are doing is, is that you are providing an alternate platform that is not explicitly on on Twitter and which is good because again, the, the time is limited, and I, I do think that you're right that uh, the cultural zeitgeist, at least with whatever this movement is to be, artistically speaking, will definitely change and vary in a lot of ways depending on um, the what happens politically in the in the real world with regards to Trump and whatnot. I mean, the you know the ultra the dark MAGA thing was definitely something that I will admit I kind of like brushed off to the side. I didn't find this particularly interesting. Uh, it definitely took off to a point now where uh, lefties, yeah. um, you know, doing dark Brandon and things like that. It's very <laughs> it's very funny in that regard. I think um, so. Yeah, I, I do think that there will be a, a significant change in, in what lies ahead. But in the time being, right? I mean. I've seen our my friend's self-published book be reviewed by everyone from, you know, sort of like Marxoid type figures to, you know, like the V-Dare crowd reviewing it. So, I mean, like these yeah, books yeah. have reads. Oh, uh, TR, on where they get promoted. Yeah. yeah, TR got promoted there. And so yeah, it's just, yeah, it's great. It, yeah, it's a huge illustration of what kind of reach that these people can do and um, what good work can actually like if you write something good, right? You know, it's the whole if they build it, they will come thing. And if you yeah. make something that is uh, authentic in that regard, then yeah, you're going to definitely make your yourself out there. I think for being yeah. seen and to be known as a cultural figurehead. That brings me yeah, to no. something and that we'll... I think is uh, very uh, good. One of the the real positives of being a kind of. Uh, uh, hunted minority <laughs> is uh, that we uh, we have each other and we we by almost by necessity like you have to make friends because yeah we could all lose our platforms at any time and also just like you know to find someone who shares your views like if if Matt and I you know Matt lives in I I don't think you'll mind my doctor no, yeah, city I'm Matt Matt lives well, in yeah. yeah Los Angeles I live in New York and like we're we're friends now we you know we talk all the time I've been to LA he's been to New York we hang out and like would would we be hanging out if not for politics if not for the current political not, situation yeah. no so what what this has done this current political situation has uh it's created a uh kind of brotherhood among many of us and that's why i don't fear being banned because i know if i'm banned from twitter i'll just make a new account and i'll say uh hey matt tell people this is me hey prudentialist tell people this is me and you know eventually i'll be i'll be back uh we're, we're always back as they say uh, that is one of my favorite things about the space of Twitter is, is that every other day I see another tweet about help me find my friends. And um, yeah. I don't even know if I know this person from a previous account, but I'm going to retweet it anyway, just because it's kind of like the evergreen trad thing to do while you're on Twitter yeah. is, is that oh, someone got banned and it's a, you know, eye patch PFP or a different Apustasha. Like, let's go, <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I perpetually wonder, like, if I if I deleted my account and then came back saying, help me find my friends, if I wouldn't get even more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
probably not uh, but it's but no you're you're, you're right it. out yeah. of that because i mean um i i by happenstance i had encountered tr hudson very early on on twitter um back when he was like still right before his book got published and i think i bought it shortly afterwards and i really enjoyed it and if it weren't for that and just getting to talk to him more regularly like he and i call each other all the time you know because it's just a great way oh, to yeah. have friendship and oh, so, yeah. I mean, if it really isn't for the fact that people put out what they write or what they do, then, yeah, you wouldn't be making your friends along the way. And uh, longtime viewers of my channel will know that that's sort of the biggest thing that I do hound on is, is that it's nice to get lost in sort of the, 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 the trends or the e-drama or whatever. But at the end of the day, right, like you have to turn off your phone at night. And I think people should rather be happy with the reflection they see against the black screen of their faces uh, and not be digitally deracinated. And I think that's the other good thing about sort of the art scene the, these days as well, is just that, oh, you know, it's not just a, a good meme or a good fash wave edit, although those things have some aesthetic taste. I'm still a sucker for Little Dark Age edits in 2022. But mm -hmm. I, I do think that when someone has a tangible piece of work, you know, whether it's I am putting out their first volume of essays or the fact that, you know, ending bigly has been a hilarious success um, some of the stories in there are just fantastic. Oh, yeah. It is nice to, at the end of the day, they're like, oh, you know, these weird internet people that I talk to on a regular basis are actually like human beings, despite the, uh, the, the, their profile pictures or their Twitter accounts or whatever they post, right? Like whether it's, you know, draw me a gorilla or whatever. I mean, <laughs> it, it's cool that this stuff is real. And I think that that's sort of the importance I see coming out of this. What I, as I titled this renaissance of fiction, that you know things are no longer digital things are moving very much into the meat space absolutely no, definitely if, i think um if you so i uh i didn't fully get into this when we were like giving our intros earlier but i was online and kind of in this general corner of twitter for a couple years let me think about this yeah basically a couple years before starting new right before linking up with dan before like this incarnation of my account and whatnot and like if you'd have told me one, like, if you, the th thing I would have been most surprised about, like, in 2018, when I first sort of got involved, uh, the thing I would have been most surprised about was just kind of was, like, how generally wholesome and straightforward <laughs> and, like, positive, um, like, my relationships in real life uh, would, would have become based off of, like, this scene. I don't know, just everyone that you meet IRL or even just people that you are, have, like, very genuine friendships with online, like, it's really... I mean, this really good, really good people here. And like, there's just that degree of trust that you have already because you're involved in something somewhat controversial. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah, no, that would like legitimately, that would have been the thing I was, I would have been most surprised about if you told me like before, because that, you know, at first it's like, oh man, this is kind of sketchy. But then it's like, you know, it's, it's people who are really smart and like, you know, there's obviously some, some bad eggs out there, but for the most part, like really well-intentioned people. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it's funny because I do keep my online life very separate from the my IRL and everything that I do, um, just because like, you know, people don't I, I like to think that the fact that this is just, I live two lives in that regard. Um, but there are yeah. days where like inadvertently things overlap. And uh, for instance, I'm, I'm well acquainted with like um, Paul Kingsnorth's work 
and what he mm-hmm. writes and his essays. He had a recent one in unheard about maturity and growing up that I just thought was fantastic. And then, you know, the other day I'm, you know, I'm at my post liturgy coffee hour and my priest is all like, well, you know, I'm reading this book of this collection of essays by Wendell Berry and it's got this uh, foreword by Paul Kingsnorth. And I'm like, Oh, I know him. And I've been told I need to interview him. And it's just this kind of weird overlap <laughs> where like, yeah. Oh, there's, there's times where the, the things that you do know, uh, pierce that veil in ways that you least expect it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, those are the things I was talking about with Dan ahead of this episode. It's like for, for as bad at, it's a, you know, 2018 versus now when I started versus now, like for as bad as things, like in some ways things have gotten worse politically, more repressive, but I actually think the gen, like in back in 2018, like it was kind of like that alt-right thing going on, like, it was really, really like a hot button issue. And like, you did not want to be associated with the wrong people. But I feel like one of the, like the, the vibe shifts and just generally the way things have moved. I think that even on a mainstream basis, people are more sympathetic to like the kind of social atomization that especially post COVID and everything that's kind of set in. Um, I think it's actually like a little bit more okay, you know, to, to, you know, be like Catholic and take that seriously, you know, the way that you are, credentialist or like like people it's not i i hesitate to be too optimistic and say that people are like more okay with the the right certainly you don't want to be a public trump supporter even or like touch on certain hot button issues but like yeah there is kind of a growing space you know you talk about like your post liturgy you know coffee hour like you know the 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 the, the web of connections between that and some of the stuff we do online and then even with some of like the vibe shift stuff with like even like red scare type people being more sympathetic. I mean, that, that it is becoming more okay to do this kind of stuff is, is what I'm trying to say. You have to avoid certain hot button issues. You still have to be careful, you know, which, you know, what, when and where you kind of cross over your real life with your online life. But like, it's no longer like, Oh my God, they're saying this stuff online. Now it's like, I think even 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 on a mainstream or like liberal basis, there is an understanding that like people are kind of creating again these kind of parallel institutions and social networks online. And I think there's kind of a growing, somewhat subterranean at this point. You're still not going to get it from the mainstream media, but like just sympathy towards kind of what we're trying to do here. Does that resonate at all? Oh yeah, I mean, there's definitely where. Like you mentioned earlier, like the Overton window has moved in a direction where some of these things are not as explicit, but I mean, they're they're kind of far more acceptable than I think that they used to be, because I mean, for whatever may have came out of the 2016, 2018 through 2018 era of online politics, the Overton window has moved very far in regards to what has been said. I mean, just, I mean, the idea of the things that, you know, Charlie Kirk would be griped about in 2017, that's common stuff that, you know, everyone is talking about, including Charlie himself. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, no. And I mean, even uh, sort of the mainstream has sort of kind of picked up on this. I mean, there's been multiple articles about, you know, the uh, sort of weird yeah, Catholic no. Twitter or there was even a more yeah. recent one with sort of like Dime Square and Catholicism, which I mean, yeah, I'm not yeah. Catholic, but one. it's. Uh, oh, you aren't. That, sorry. No, 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 you're fine. Um, but like, uh, I, it's just a weird thing to see it that, that has come out of it. I mean, everyone from the New York times to default friend is discussed about, uh, sort of these, these growths of uh, how things have been nudged into that direction. And, um, I mean, nudge units asking in the chat, like, what does it mean about this like vibe shift? And it's just the overall change of 
the, the era of politics online has definitely changed where there's far more of this underground stuff. I mean, you guys had Stained Haynes on recently and he was talking about like FedFest and all these things that happened in New York. And yeah. so there is this sort of growth in, in other places. And I mean, even where I live in Texas, there's plenty of stuff going on throughout the state. And so there's sort of this recognition that, oh, things are not what they used to be politically, where things were far more hushed hush. Things there is this sort of momentum that has kind of reached its highest amount of potential energy. And now that the ball's rolling in and people are publishing books, there's this, you know, discussion over poetry, there's far more emphasis on art criticism and i mean that that's a good thing to have because you do need those things in the world you do need to have a a substantially positive cultural vision to orient towards and so whether you're writing about the many ends of justin trudeau or you know just yeah. the, the the future of what the world is going to look like like uh, automaton with tr hudson it does mm-hmm. it does say a lot of what's going on yeah, yeah. no i i think what you have going on here is as Matt mentioned, there are a lot of hot button issues that, you know, we still can't, the mainstream won't really touch. But when you do have like parties going on in New York and Austin and LA, where, uh, you know, you can question the uh, sincerity of some of these young people who uh, proclaim that they're Catholics and cultural conservatives, but nevertheless, they, they do proclaim it and their articles are being written about it. So on, on some level, there is a, uh, a mainstream cultural acceptance of cultural conservatism. And that's new. That's, uh, and among yeah. the young, that's, that's a new thing. And that is a shift of the Overton window to the right. And, uh, you know, perhaps it will continue to shift and we'll, you know, be in a very, yeah. uh, a time of great ferment. Yeah, say. these things are always nuanced because it's like while 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 the Overton window shifted right in some ways, it also shifted left in other ways. There's kind of multiple things going on at the same time at any given moment in culture, right? Like I don't know, the mainstream media, uh, politically, you might even say the government. Not to sound like a libertarian, these things have all kind of gotten. I mean, look at Trump getting raided. Like you know, there's a lot of bad, but then there's also. Yeah, I think on this more subterranean cultural level, there is a shift rightward. If you want to get really specific about uh, what the vibe shift is, it's, it's I don't even remember the guy's name. My friend Isaac Simpson, who I think is might be watching right yeah, now. He's, he's uh, yeah, he's in the yeah, chat. Yeah. We, did, uh, we did a podcast with him a few weeks back. He kind of turned me on to this. I don't remember the guy's name, but it was, it was a guy who predicted the norm core trend of the 2010s, which I wouldn't <laughs> get into that. But like that was also considered to be like a real thing. Uh, also predicted, I think he coined the term vibe shift. And yeah, it basically is is what we've talked about. But suffice it to say, it's not just like something that we're kicking around frog Twitter. It's like a pretty serious cultural commentator who identified this trend as something that's kind of on the horizon, you know, mentioning things like Catholicism and like Red Scare. We lost Prudentialist again. Oh, damn it. Well, um, yeah, our I can continue has on succeeded. Point. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> Yeah, no, so that there is an, if you, uh, yeah, I should Google it so I can actually give people who are listening to write info, but, uh, you know, there is, there is like a specific lo- route to this vibe shift idea. Um, the yeah. other, the other way it could be looked at is like, basically the, to put it really simply, like the, uh, the, the, the inroads made uh, on like the post left with, with the new right, shall we say, following the defeat of Bernie Sanders. Uh, and it kind of makes sense under a yeah. Biden presidency. I mean, because basically no one on the left was given anything that they wanted from around 2016. 
to 2020. A lot of them are woke. A lot of them, you know, the left is the left. Like some people are never going to change, but then there's also people in that crowd who, who are looking for new outlets and even new political ideas following, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, Red Scare is really a great, not only test case, but like one of the nodes where uh, they're kind of, the DR kind of crosses through them into the mainstream. They launder, I mean, well, that sounds derogatory, mm-hmm. but they make BAP, they make, you know, some, they, tacos, I, I don't, frankly, I don't think tacos ever needed to be laundered, but yeah. regardless, they've introduced him to a more mainstream audience. And uh, so, yeah, you you see the quote unquote post left, if that's what they are, acting as a sort of, uh, you know, uh, entryway uh, for the DR into the more popular culture. And uh, that's that's part of this vibe shift, I would say. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like it's like one of those things that you kind of know it. Uh when you see it you know what i mean it and may, you know maybe maybe that's a little bit abstract but basically well, it's just about people being yeah. reasonable i feel like I, there was a thread on twitter where someone was like could you red pill uh, a girl that you're dating yeah. and the answer uh for the, the not for me uh was that uh you if she is moderate then yes you, you probably you probably could red pill her because moderate uh, people in general are more open-minded and their, their mind hasn't been kind of like uh, colonized by an ideology. Mm-hmm. And the basic red-pilled truths are essentially, um, you know, facts. So like an open-minded person, a moderate person can be convinced of facts. And so I'm going to tie this back to Red Scare. Anna is kind of like an open-minded, moderate person. And so like, you know, the, these facts, these red pill facts got dropped on her and she assimilated them. And now she's, you know, a little more a woman of the right, I would say. Yeah, there's a kind of a, a change, like just just normies and, and, and just normal moderate people, I think, are more amenable to our ideas than they would have been four years ago. That's another way of looking at it. You know, the, it's like yeah. in any given era is like uh, is there are, are normies trending right or trending left and it's like, i guess the idea is that now they will or may start trending right and it looks like prudentialist is back so i will the writer is sean monahan who i think coined the term uh vibe yeah and so, well, yeah. and I, I thank you guys for carrying that well my yeah. i had to reset my router here but i mean um <laughs> are you saying that anna was destroyed by facts and logic um yes there you go <laughs> and, uh, but I, and got, i think that, that uh, wrecked. i think she got wrecked as they say yeah well i think that that can work in spaces that aren't so professional i mean there is something far more attractive about spaces like this than say steven crowder or ben shapiro going <laughs> to a university talk because i mean like yeah it's great to record a meltdown but whose minds did you actually change there or did you actually get anything out of this other than your cringe compilation? And that's like a problem that I think that there is a lot of issues in regards to um, recording things for your own uh, hoity toity regards or like your own sort of, uh, you know, victory porn and that that's it. Whereas I think with art, especially right when it's not so explicitly political, but I mean, it has a political bent to it. It's just not the main underpinning. 
that you have the open mindedness enough to start asking more serious questions about things like that. I mean, there's a reason why like bronze age mindset still gets talked about years after it came out is because um, even if you read it and you think that this is a schizophrenic, like 4chan shit post, um, I'm still go back to it every now and then and be like, yeah, there's still something to take away here about space and what's been definitely taken yeah. away from us. Right. And I mean, other books are, are starting to do that as well, which I really, really appreciate like um you know semiagog's book viniculum which i think you guys should definitely give it a read because it's about sort oh, yeah. of reclaiming lost works it, it you know that also leaves me with a lot to tell about what the future might hold and what people would want in that regard but um the the last thing i kind of wanted to touch base on with you two gentlemen is because as we mentioned earlier you do need to have a sort of um personality or profile to be built around you before you know you really can get yourself uh situated to hawk your book as they like to say um which i mean i get not everyone does that but i I do think that that's sort of become the um best practices edition for sort of like frog twitter is is that people stick around get to 10k or so and then they start putting out their book and um you know, that also comes though with blogging and with Substack yeah. has basically just, you know, put fire and gasoline together with the growth of the, the blogosphere, right? I mean, so much of that used to be from the Usenet days to Blogspot and WordPress. And now it's yeah. really just blown up in such a way that anyone and everyone has a Substack, which I think is great because Twitter is both a wonderful but terrible medium because it's a great way to interact and get the ideas out mimetically, but it is terrible outside of like really long tweet threads that you have to cultivate uh, an audience for to get longer and more long form ideas out there. And I'm sure that you guys with your, and I mean, it was funny because Robert Stark mentioned you, Matt, in his uh, recent piece about aesthetics. Right. Oh, you read that? that." I did. I I read that on stream um, the other day with Geo. It was a really great piece. Um, And Robert Stark occasionally will DM me telling me things to read. And I haven't been disappointed by him since. (laughs) Yeah, he's a long term. He was the one who got me into all this in 2018. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gio was informing me long term, long, (laughs) long time around. Yeah, but um, more. Yeah, yeah. But um, I'd imagine that you guys encounter this a lot. Is is that so much of the 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 art scene or the writing and the poetry? It it exists now more so in, in blog form than it has ever before outside of say visual arts absolutely yeah Yeah. no i Um, mean like substack i mean what i think you've we've seen is that blogging kind of died off with the manosphere it uh it blogging 1.0 shall we say kind of and blogging 1.0 that was never really a competitor to the mainstream media industry in like 2012 2013 but now what you have is because the mainstream media industry is uh, so, you know, we know what it is. It, um, you know, you can't uh, express yourself freely there. So like a true parallel media industry exists now on Substack and elsewhere where you have like people like, you know, very kind of mainstream people like uh, whatever people think of her, Barry Weiss or Andrew Sullivan Mm -hmm. leaving their, you know, newspapers and making close to a million dollars a year on Substack, which is insane. Like, like they're yeah. ra- they're both raking in like pretty close to a million. And, you know, that's way more, I'm sure, than their publishers were were paying them. 
So what we have now is like an actual profitable model of blogging that is, you know, whose profitability depends upon the mainstream media industry being fake and gay, which it is. And because it's, you know, it's so F and G, you know, you have this space to, for people who are, you know, uh, want to say things that are a little spicier, a little more interesting to, um, you know, both draw more eyes, but also make more money. And, but, you know, we also like Substack, it's not just for people like uh, Barry and Andrew Sullivan. It's also like Matt has a Substack. Astral has a Substack. Uh, I, I should probably have a Substack. And yeah. like, it's, yeah, it's a- I have a post coming out on Substack right yeah. after this. Excellent. I mean, there, there we go. You know. Prudentialist has a Substack. Geo has a and, Substack. Uh, Stane Haynes has a Substack. Sorry, don't say, I guess yeah, I yeah. name everyone, but like kinda everyone at least- potentially has a substack you know what i mean and so i mean there's reason to be concerned about it where it's been the the target of the eye of sauron for uh a while now because you know there's always been talking about it it, it's speech codes and what's on there um which is always the 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 concern right is this I mean, they've so far they've been pretty adamant about sticking to their guns about what you can say on yeah, there. Been, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Al- Alex than- uh, Berenson and you know Agippius, the guys that have really been spearheading a lot of the uh, sort of you know COVID narratives that are against what the the state has been saying is very illustrative of that. You know, you can make money off of there from dissent, but the question becomes, well, for how long? Um, yeah. I know Yarv, you know, Yarvin's a big subsacker, of course, and he's kind of talked about how he thinks of himself. And I don't know if Substack thinks of him this way. I don't even know what the connections are between Yarvin and Substack. Yeah, maybe he even knows some people there. I don't even know. But he's kind of talked about it like he's kind of the most controversial thing that can be on Substack, perhaps. That seems to be the case, which you know, he is controversial. He is pretty right wing, so yeah um, well we, we I, I, yeah. he also did a huge post about like their terms and services um when he started gray mirror yeah. he did a long post about it but i mean at the same time right like if you're cozy with um san francisco venture capitalists which he certainly is then i mean it's probably good to have an in with the guys that run Substack, which happens to be you know so it it, it, it is still an it interesting helps. platform <laughs> definitely but to go back a step, um, what Dan said, uh, I co-sign on. I mean, you kind of mentioned in your notes to us before, Prudentialist, like, you know, the, the rebirth of the of the blogosphere. I hadn't even thought of it in those terms. I do think there is a bit of a blogging renaissance that we are in the midst of. And I, we talk, Dan and I discussed, I think that it is what it comes down to is the old blogosphere, you know, was great in many ways. But yeah, it was, it was different. It's aesthetically and it's aesthetically different and different in terms of content. It was blog spot it was wordpress a lot of sites that you don't really see kicking around too much people had their own urls that's not really something you see too too much it's more Substack. uh it was all about and that's kind of the place that we got the manosphere from to an extent i'd say it's where we got delicious tacos from good work came out of that but it, it kind of played itself out by around 2012 2013 the model was very much kind of just people using the internet as a place i mean it sounds a little you know, fake and gay to say express themselves, but it was, it was very much kind of in that, you know, 2000s, early 2010s mindset of like, you know, you're going to use this to just sort of express yourself or talk about things that you couldn't elsewhere. Uh, but now it really is uh, the, the difference now is that I do think, 
and this comes down even just to aesthetics. It's a lot. There's more of an emphasis on slightly shorter form stuff. Uh, Substack looks like a news site. It's kind of like Medium. Medium is another place that people yep. blog, and sort of. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was somewhat of an influence on Substack. The, the goal now does seem to be to, to properly create an alternative sort of play, uh, alternative to the mainstream in terms of journalism and news and reporting. Which has always been a part of the blogosphere, but I, I just think there's more of an emphasis on that now, and I think that's that's the difference. Well, for sure, and I mean that's something that I do think that we are seeing the the return of. I mean, the, the reason why I find Substack to be filling a, a specific niche is because you know the blogosphere kind of dies, and this comes sort of coinciding with like the rise of YouTube politics and finding a way Absolutely. to successfully monetize that. You had the long form video essay or the video response, yeah. which gave way to Google Hangouts, as they used to call them, to just like, oh, I'm going to do a live stream and live streaming platforms. And then now all of a sudden, you know, there's also this, you know, there's a desire for live content that you can come back to because people want their friend simulator in a lot of ways. But um, the desire to like really put out the more long form thought out stuff uh, yeah. emerges onto uh, Substack because like, it's really great to write a piece on Substack knowing I don't have to spend the extra hours that are needed to edit a video or to um, record and then promptly yell and curse at myself for flubbing <laughs> a line and then re-recording for the next two hours. Yeah. Like, you know, um, that, that's, that's uh, something, there's some insider info for the audience there. This is what I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, that's the, that's the nice thing about Substack is, is that, you know, you can blog and do some news or do some hot takes in ways where uh, you, you can do it. But I mean, you know, it, it, it does vary in that regard um, as well to where yeah. so many more people now um, are doing things. Like it was kind of funny you mentioned like the, the Manosphere as well, because I just saw the advice column from delicious tacos and default friend oh, yeah, where yeah. he was just so like going around. yeah i was like if yeah. i could go back in time and just like ruin the manosphere <laughs> meetup the manosphere. And, and, including myself you know like uh he, he'd do it um but i mean that's well, kind of where we're at now i would say um you know I, I get where i think he's being a little cheeky i get where he's coming from but i'm happy he didn't because i think the manosphere was a necessary step to get to where we are now they like they pioneered a you know sort of kind of a reverent you know wild writing style and like i think the manosphere my contention is that it kind of died out because the mainstream culture you know it, it wasn't quite as repressive as it is now so like you know it just it had some energy it dissipated but because the culture industry is so f and g we you know can't publish anything there really or anything you read there is just totally dry totally lacks vitality so uh so everything is outside of it and so i think this kind of ties into something that you were saying crude about how um and maybe i'm reading more into this but i think that the rise of blogging the return of blogging it's not just about substack it's not just about a return of blogs it's about how everything has kind of become a blog. So like mm. you go on Twitter and like essentially what my, at least my media consumption, and I think this is probably most everyone's, I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm like, you know, listening to YouTube streams. 
And so all of this is kind of parallel commentary, parallel content that exists parallel to or in response to the quote unquote official content. It's, it's a blog, really. And so everything is kind has become a blog. And that's like, in a way, it's, it's kind of cool because it means that like people are taking control of their, you know, the, the narrative. They're taking control of, so like instead of listening to, um, I don't know, listening to some, you know, newscaster, whether it's Fox News or whomever, I'm listening to the good old boys. And I listen, I listen to the good old boys give me the news. And you know what? I trust Bog Beef and Merrick more than I trust uh, whoever would be the anchor <laughs> on television. So it's, it's good for me. And, there, and it's more fun, too. So um, it's a win, I think, this blocking revolution. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing about Twitter. Is it was what? It was originally sold as microblocking. You know, the whole, what yeah, was yeah. it originally? Like 120 characters or less. And now it's been expanded and all that jazz. But no, I, I think that you're right. That a lot of both the artistic platforms, but I think that because things have become so deracinated, right? That yeah. people are looking for a shred of authenticity. And I mean, if there's one thing that I've noticed in the short time that I've been around and now interacting with people that I used to listen to for years is that, you know, the the ones that really stick around are the ones that aren't hawking a grift or aren't, um, you know, they're they're authentic in their message because they have genuine beliefs or that they, they think things through and that they're willing to adapt based upon new information right like the good old boys is great not only because you know bog beef and Mary get along so well but it's just because like they have the unique ability i think in a lot of ways other commentators don't to like really do take in new information on the fly and build off of it and synthesize which is good because you do need absolutely. that absolutely um yeah. and so yeah. even now right where we're at it's in a position to where everything is kind of that slice of life that people are looking for um, which is good because I mean, that is also reflected in, both in people's novels and uh, their art artistic visual works as well. And I mean, that's sort of the great thing about the meme space as well, artistically speaking, is this because that is a uniquely, you know, non right or non like it's just, it's not something that is really is outside of the right, I think, in a lot of regards. Because what are lefty memes other than just responses to the knee jerk, truthful reactions that everyone makes out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, well, we've sort of reached a, a little over an hour here. I don't know how much time you gentlemen have, but I thought that this might be a, a good way to get in some concluding thoughts about where this sort of vibe shift is going before hitting the, the few super chats that came in. Sure. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Go for I, it. Yeah, I think this is kind of, I we kind of laid it out earlier in the, this episode how the politics might kind of determine where exactly this goes. If if Trump wins in twenty twenty four, maybe um, things get more. Maybe, maybe there's a harder crackdown on us. Maybe, but maybe you know because there potentially will be some levers of power in our favor. Maybe things go more mainstream, but that's, yeah. that's a little kind of like, I can't, who even knows to predict what, what's going to happen in politics. You couldn't say, but what I think is certain is the Overton window once opened, doesn't really shut very easily. 
And I think like the kind of the vibe shift, if it means that young people are becoming more culturally conservative, at least nominally so, I think this will continue. I think this is kind of, this is here to stay. And cru crucially, as long as like the mainstream art is deracinated, I think where, where the vibe shift goes really depends on where the right wing takes it. And yeah, the way, I the way I, yeah. yeah, the way I see it going is you have, um, you have a, a lot of, you know, different publishing houses, you have terror house, you have, uh, I believe passage prize is starting its own publishing house passage publishing. You have Imperium, you have Antelope Hill, you have, um, I mean, I don't know if expat, expat would not consider themselves to be right wing, I don't think, but dissident in some respects. And uh, Bonfire is another bonfire. Band. Yes, they get left out. Yeah, they're bonfire. Good. Yeah, they yeah. have a lot of great. Uh, oh, crucially, they publish Caleb Caudell, who we, uh, we've had on the pod. He's a great writer. You should read his novel, The Neighbor. Fantastic. Um, yeah. yeah, just in, in really one of the best novels I've read over the last year. And uh, so, yeah, all of these publishing houses I've just named, they have very distinct voices, very distinct, you know, like a type of project, like, you know, you, you sit, there's a novel and you're like, oh, yeah, that that would be a, a passage publishing novel or like, oh, that that would be Terror House or that. Well, that's uh, that's a rare historical right wing uh not fiction, uh, the text, that would be Mystery Grove. So like, you know, it's, it's clearly like there are a lot of different, not factions, but a lot of different parties vying for, um, you know, a, a piece of the right wing art sphere. And I think, um, you know, I, I think everyone's going to find a, a piece. I think so too. I don't have anything substantial to add to that. I mean, I kind of addressed it a little bit earlier. I think a lot of it does depend on where the political situation goes. And that's, I would say, extremely unpredictable right now. But, you know, just on a personal level, I think, and I would, you know, give this ad advice to anyone who cares to hear who's kind of part of this scene. You just got to focus on your own work, whether it's your own podcast, your own stream, you know, your own writing, your own Substack. You just kind of got to keep keep doing what got you into this in the first place, which is, you know, uh, accessing truth and, uh, you know, accessing truth in a way that's, you know, hopefully beneficial to readers, but also I'm sure as it is for me, you know, my writing, you know, personally beneficial. I just kind of focus on that because it's a big ocean of people out there. And, uh, you know, we talked about the vying for attention of it all. And there's, there's political pressures and, you know, are there crackdowns coming? I don't know. But um, you just kind of got to stay focused on that and stay focused on the work and kind of trust that that will lead you to the promised land. Um, that's not really a prediction. That's more of like a life philosophy, but. Uh, but a good one. Say, yeah. You know, I don't. So long story short, I don't know kind of where the vibe shift is heading, but I think we've a lot of us have collectively done good work so far. And I think it's starting to pay off. And I think it will continue to, as Dan said, once the Overton window shifts, it doesn't really shift back or at least not in a hurry so um i, I think that you know you just kind of gotta remain remain optimistic on a day-to-day -day level yeah no and i mean one of the things that i've noticed is that it also requires just the 
ability to go out of your way and network, but also to foster community building. I mean, one of the ways I also knew about like TR Hudson was because like when Bronze Age, uh, not Bronze Age pervert, but when um, Zero HP Lovecraft made a telegram after BAP got banned um, from Twitter that, you know, he had a chat and everything opened up and out of the blue, you know, TR had asked uh, if Zero HP Lovecraft could like look at his work. And, you know, that was the start of that kind of relationship and the assistance to where now, you know, Hudson is putting out like a, a, a writing sort of workshop that Zero HP is lectured with on, you know, as a guest. Right. Yeah. And so like and that's impressive stuff, to say the least, that you've got a, a community building and with great fiction and with great works that, that come with it. And Absolutely. so I, I do think that whatever does come from the vibe shift, right, like those established names and publishing houses are going to have a lot more weight as sort of the eye of Sauron and is also just sort of like the mainstream press puts more and more attention onto, to whatever comes out of this. And one of the things that um, I've, I've definitely observed is, is that a lot of these people are, do not get here alone. You know, like feedback is important. People continue to listen and to, to feedback and comments, you know, like um, to reference that Wendell Berry, uh, the, him earlier, you know, he has this great essay from years ago about why I will not buy a computer. And he talks about, well, why would I deny, you know, sort of the relationship I have with my wife to like read and edit? And I mean, that sort of also sort of behooves the, mm. any sort of community to ensure that you have that sort of relationship for someone to read and edit. I have I've had a friend right now just go through the my Substack draft as we were doing this, sending me all sorts of messages about shit I need to edit. So uh, it's important for us to, to keep all that in mind, because whether you're a visual artist, uh, there are guys out there I know that do real life concerts that do, uh, you know, conceptual album work and things like that. Music. I, all of that needs to be, um, to be put out there and fostered. And so whether it is just literature and fiction, like what you guys have definitely covered, there's also the importance that it comes with all facets of fiction. And I think that we're really beginning to see, like, I would say the Renaissance is beginning to happen. You say we're sort of like at the pre-Renaissance phase, but I think mm -hmm. that we really are seeing it emerge where the resistance yeah. to the humans of flat design is coming out in ways that um, people didn't expect. The The meme magic has transformed itself into very real and tangible things. Definitely. Um, yeah. But uh, I think there's been a few I think there's one super chat that has a question for you guys, but if not, I'm going to just get through them real quick if you guys don't mind. No problem. Uh, to stay on. Great. So um, your friend Isaac Simpson earlier sent a little uh, hippo sticker for four ninety nine US. I greatly appreciate that, Isaac. Thank you so much. Um, I don't get to keep. A, I don't really keep any of this money. Uh, it all goes back into the channel or paying off or paying my out of pocket costs for medication. So thank you. Um, let's see the next one. I'm just going to scroll through so I can put them up on screen. Uh, George Sagan for nine ninety nine US. He says, I hate to shill, but I made a sub stack for short fiction called Southern reactionary romance. Would love feedback from the fam. Uh, already have the first of a trilogy going about millennial friends in the 2010s. Well, there you go. You've got your, uh, sub stack out on here. Southern reactionary romance. Um, George has been a, a watcher and a long time listener for a while. So by all means, give him some love. And then mm -hmm. last but not least was, let's see if I can pull it up. There we go. Uh, Alternative Avenue says, we're at a turning point in a generational conflict. Get creative and brave, everyone. My question, uh, what are the most based video games and do you think we'll see more based games in the future? Um, I don't know. Dang, if I, I wish I could give a better, yeah. I'm, <laughs> not a, I'm not a gamer. I am sorry. I, I don't, uh, yeah. 
I oh, wish I, I could give a better answer, but I, I, I will say they've got to be out there. No, game design is like, okay, so I'll, I'll answer, I'll give like a, a cheating answer because it's not really an answer to the question, but it's kind of, kind of similar. I, I want to see like what the most based movies are. Cause, and I think the reason we haven't seen as many, ma- so we mentioned Amanda Milius earlier uh, and uh, also Alex Lee Moyer. Unfortunately, and, I, and they've, they've, all, they've both made great films. Uh, they, they are all documentaries. I'm kind of waiting for uh you know what's the what's going to be the first like really now there is stuff like dragged across concrete whoever that director is and uh that's that's craig zeller we were talking about doing a pod on him yeah he uh, he has made some pretty like if there is a uh, quote-unquote alt-right director it's is probably s craig zeller and probably yeah yeah we we should do an episode on his stuff no we will and just you know there is good tv there's good movies but i i i think we have yet to see like the you know the the non-documentary film that's like the equivalent of like delicious tacos or like our books or like a tear house i do think it'll come eventually but i think the limitation is of course budget movies are hugely expensive to make and the reason that i say this is because i think it's probably the same for video games like i think that eventually there could and perhaps will even if it's just like a sort of indie game that you know I, oh there's, I know there's lots of those i was gonna yeah. I'll, I'll, i have an answer for that actually. okay well but, i will i mean you can go for, ahead for based yeah. movies though i always just tell people to go watch master and commander again because, oh yeah it's a great i mean one. it doesn't need to be an explicitly political message to be incredibly based i mean i know a lot of people sell master and commander as oh there's no women in the film i mean you should mm-hmm. be selling master and commander as the fact that this is life on an english naval ship in like the napoleonic era and what it meant to have martial discipline and like british excellence and like this is is my all-time favorite film but uh as as for as for video games there are a few out there that are indie and some that are just sort of like smaller tier that aren't out there um my immediate answer would be kingdom come deliverance the the polish team that had made this you know story rpg about you know just this peasant guy that gets his village raided and it's very much uh historically accurate very religious in its tone and you know in its language it's uh, a fantastic game that i would recommend if you want something a little more indie count tier magazine c-o-u-n-t-e-r they made uh a video game called cuck simulator which is just I, yeah. I was almost about to mention that, but I didn't know if that was a joke. So. Oh no! I mean, it's a it's a game that you can it's get. It's a real on, game. <laughs> it's a real game. Okay. Um, it, it's fantastic in that regard. It's just about <laughs> life. Is um, oh, it, it well, it, it's just it's, it's a pretty damn good game in that regard, which I thought is uh, well. Thank you, Polish ambassador. Kingdom Come Deliverance is a Czech game, not Polish, but thank you. Um, but you know, it, uh, the Cuck Simulator has actually had some additions in regards to like. Uh, recent events with George Floyd and all that jazz. So I mean, very, <laughs> very funny. Um, but I mean, it's. It, I thought that was oh a joke. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, no. It's I very it's real. Joke, like joke. You can count air, but no, it's a real. That's, that's yeah. No, it's, it's a real thing that you can get on Steam if you so wish. Um, uh, I know that the creator of the original like um, Deus Ex game is. You know, he's a big lefty and he's a big. You know, he, he thought of it as a left-wing dystopia, but like, I, I still think that the original Deus Ex that came out in like 2000 uh, is still a very like, you know, futuristic sort of like right-wing game that's out there that I think is pretty, um, pretty accurate to sort of like the dystopic aspects of, you know, governments taking over globalization, all that jazz and the lock, lack of national and individual sovereignty. But yeah, I mean, I think we might see more, but they're going to come out of the indie scene above all else. I mean, yeah. Not to mention, I mean, 
Paradox Games has been continuously fueling right-wing map porn fantasies for over a decade now. So thanks to Crusader Kings, Hearts of Iron, all that jazz. So uh, keep those in mind when you uh, think about your video games. But that would uh, that would be the ones to, to go for. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, yeah, it's uh, things to keep in mind. But um, Matt and Dan, thank you so much for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. I thought this was a very fun conversation. Um, do you have thank any you final plugs or things that you'd like to promote? I have your Patreon and your guys' Twitter accounts linked down below. Uh, yeah, yeah, just so follow uh, those. Go on, Matt. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we we got we're on Patreon. We're also on Spotify, on Apple, on various other podcasters that I don't even know about, but I know that our pod goes there. Check us out. Uh, we have we're on this. I think we'll probably do this as a simulcast and end up posting it as well. This would be like our thirty fourth or thirty fifth episode. We got a good back catalog to look to listen to. Uh, people like Rye Nationalist, Zero HP Lovecraft, uh, Billy Pratt, and others check us out and yeah my book's available on Terra house press and dan's will be as well but i will let dan promote himself <laughs> yeah so we as matt said we have a tremendous back catalog we uh have a, a schedule coming up it's uh we're still putting the pieces together but uh we have one very big novelist one of the favorites of our scene is uh probably coming on the pod so we're very excited about that stay tuned you know his name. And uh, there's there's another novelist, uh, me, Dan Baltic. Uh, Nutcranker is coming out this fall from Terror House. You should read it. And uh, I, I would uh, appreciate your thoughts. Thank you all uh, right. very much, everyone. Well, thank you all so much again for coming on. Gentlemen, their links are down below in the description. I will be back live tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern to cover international relations and affair on the Sunday stream as usual. And uh, stay tuned. There'll be more stuff to come out. And we'll see you all tomorrow. Take care, everybody. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. So much.